the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. The show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally. And believe me, we do not like paying taxes at Connors & Sullivan. We want to push it within legal limits. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. We don't want your house to go to a nursing home either. So if you want to save on those things, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan. Um, The second part of the show, we talk about nostalgia, politics, history. Last weekend, we had some good responses about we did uh, about the the Major League Baseball players who were in the Hall of Fame, who they named a ship over, Cooperstown. And it was interesting because I learned, uh, you know, I, at first, when I was told there were 70 Hall of Famers who wore the uniform of the United States in the military, I couldn't believe it. But, of course, there were a lot of different factors going on. Like, one, you had some baseball executives who were not players, like Morgan Buckley, who was a Civil War veteran, who was president of the National League in 1876. And, I, Nicole, I bet you didn't know the National League was around in 1876. Why would I know that? That is just not sitting around on the Google you, for my everyday oh. knowledge. You don't have to quiz everyone the way you <laughs> I know, quiz me. It's okay. embarrassing. All right. And, you know, of course, there were the, the Negro League players. And, of course, some people might take offense, but that's what they called it, the Negro Leagues. There were some Negro League players. And, of course, there were also some players who were in uniform during the Korean War, like Ernie Banks and Willie Mays. And, of course, that's one of the things about Willie Mays. If he didn't have his service during the Korean War, he may have broken Babe Ruth's lifetime home run record. Of course, Hank Aaron probably would have passed him anyway. But it, it's just one of those things that I think it's worth noting, you know, because the the players who served during the in the military during wartime, whether it was World War II, um, Korea, and, and some of the players in World War One, although not too many players served a long time during World War One, you know, they gave significant parts of their career. Of course, Eddie Grant we talked about. Um, 
on another show, gave his life in 1918, um, and he died, and of course he was a Harvard graduate. So the saying goes, when he was a ball hit, hit to him, it was a pop-up, he didn't say, I have it. He didn't say, I got it, he says, I have it. So, to be grammatically correct, Michael. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about another baseball hero who's not in the Hall of Fame, uh, Bobby Brown, Dr. Bobby Brown, who played for the Yankees, and I think in four World Series, and uh, served in the military in, in World War II and Korea. And he passed away a couple of years ago, but we dug out of the archives. You know, we had an interview with, with Dr. Bobby Brown. He was also president of the American League, and he was a cardiologist and the, the tr accomplished tremendous things during his lifetime. So we're going to rehash our interview with Bobby Brown. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a great man, maybe not a great baseball player, a good baseball player who was a great man. But let's go to our state planning again. And we, we have Nicole on, as usual. And, Nicole, what's, what question is coming through your mind now? So I'm seeing this a lot, and I'm going to preface this with a question for you and Mrs. Connors. Mrs. Connors, how long have you guys been married? A long time. We got married in 1980. Ask her quickly, how many years? Oh, Too long. A lot of years. 43. <laughs> got it. Well, it's going to be 44 this year. No, it's going to be 43 this year. Again with the quizzing people. Yeah, it's going to be 43 this year. Okay. Well, well my next year for my next birthday. <laughs> Well, do you, do you ever think in these past 43 years that you can just sign Mr. Connors' name because you're married? Well, I might have thought of that at the very beginning, but soon thereafter, the big answer is no. Thank you. So a lot of clients have been coming in, husband and wife, and I talk about this power attorney that they need, and they say, why do I need a power attorney? We're married. Mr. Connors, tell the people why they need a power attorney, even if they're married. <laughs> Yeah, just because you're married doesn't give you the right to sign your spouse's name. And I know you may do it with your spouse's permission. There's nothing seriously wrong with that. But there are certain things, you you know, let's say you, you buy a house together. You know, and I'm, I'm going to pick on the husband because usually it's the husband who becomes ill first. Let's say you have a, a husband and wife. Husband has a stroke. He's going to a nursing home. The deed's on the house. Um. The wife wants to sell the house and move for a variety of different reasons. Maybe she wants to move her husband to another area, wants to be closer to the kids. She wants to sell her house and move, let's say, closer to the kids where the husband's new nursing home is. Well, she can't sell that deed on her, on her own signature. She needs her husband's signature. And as a result of the stroke, if he's mentally incompetent, she would need a court order to sell that house. And court orders are not that easy to come by, and sometimes it can be very expensive and very aggravating. So, you know, that's one thing. And, and not only, let's say you want to apply for Medicaid, uh, again, husband has a stroke. He has some stocks in his name alone, maybe from his pension plan or from his work benefit and whatever, and the wife wants to cash in those stocks or sell them or do whatever. Again, she doesn't have the authority to sign her husband's name unless he gives her a power of attorney. There's no automatic right to sign each other's name, husband and wife. They're two separate people. They're second marriages. People get divorced. It's in the law. You you know, you have to have a power of attorney in order to sign somebody else's name to legal documents. Even then, you can't sign a will for your spouse, even with the power of attorney. But we can move assets, and we can move it from husband and wife to wife. Why do we want to do that? Let's say husband's in a nursing home. He's got a $16,000 a month nursing home bill. 
if we move all the assets to the wife's name and she does a spouse or refusal, husband then can apply for Medicaid. And if he doesn't have a power of attorney, again, we have to go, and he's incompetent, we have to go to court to get his permission to sign his name on those documents. And, and again, court orders are not that easy to get. They're expensive. They take time. You lose a lot of time. And at $16,000 a month, you can lose a lot of money if you don't plan in advance, don't have a power of attorney. And, you know, we can go through, you know, a hundred other reasons why a power of attorney, you might need it. One, if you want to apply for Medicaid, it's a lot easier to apply for Medicaid. If you have a power of attorney, you can sign your spouse's name. Um, just there, there's so many things that might come up. You want to get information from your husband's pension plan or whatever. And you call him up and say, who are you? I'm his wife. That doesn't do you any good. You have to have power of attorney to get that information. If you want medical records, you should have a health care proxy. That's something different. We can talk about that on another show or whatever. And that, that's one of the important things about a health care proxy. You can get access to other people's medical records if they want you to. Now, what other thing did you come across, Nicole, between husband and wife? Wait a second. I'm still processing. You mean to tell me if I marry somebody, I can't just get all of their medical records? That's not a thing? What good is marriage? You can't even get your child, right? Now, we had some people, kids go off to college, right? They're 18, whatever. If something happens, if they are in a car wreck, can a parent automatically get the records and see what's going on? No. Now, you know, New York State, in effect, for medical decisions, it does have a priority if there's no health care proxy there. You know, it goes to spouse, children. It's... And then significant, down to significant others or whatever. But then again, how do you prove your significant other? And the other thing is no doctor ordinarily is going to give medical records or access to medical records to somebody without something in writing. So that's where a healthcare proxy comes into play. And the healthcare proxy is kind of like a medical power of attorney. Um, they're two separate documents. The healthcare proxy is for medical decisions. Power of attorney is for financial legal decisions. And a lot of people confuse the two, too. You know, like I asked somebody... They come in, well, do you have a health care proxy? Do you have a power of attorney? Yes, do you have a power of attorney? And they show me a you know, a healthcare proxy signed years and early. Yes, you know, this is what I have. But that's only the healthcare proxy is only for medical decisions, not for legal decisions. Let's say transferring the deed to the house. And this sounds awkward and it's like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I've got to sign something. But the in reality, sometimes your spouse isn't very nice. So this is to protect you. So that that really is it. That's the real world. Well, Sometimes they're not nice not people. Nice. That spouse may not sign the power of attorney. No, no but I mean, you, you've got to think ahead. Maybe they start out nice and then something yeah. happens and along well, the way. Well, that's true. Sometimes people, they do have a stroke and they have their personality mm -hmm. changes. So, yes, that is a you know strong possibility that that could happen. Um you, you know, a power of attorney, you sign a power of attorney, you want to protect your spouse in case you get sick, you want to be protected in case your spouse gets sick, you want to take care of each other. That's when you sign a power of attorney. And if if you have a son or daughter, you implicitly trust, put them on it also. Now, you got to be careful about doing powers of attorney because you give a power of attorney to the wrong person, they can wipe you out and they can steal you blind. My, What is a springing power of attorney? Springing power of attorney... Uh, is that you can't use the power of attorney ordinarily unless a medical doctor, psychiatrist, 
Uh, you could put down psychologists, but every doctor I've ever spoken to doesn't want it just to go by a psychologist. Where a, a medical doctor says that you're not capable of handling your matters in a competent manner. And nobody can use the power of attorney until you get that letter signed by the doctor, which sounds great, but it's not always that good in practice. I had a, a gentleman, he was a lawyer, and he wanted that clause in there because he didn't want his nephews and nieces using his power of attorney unless a medical doctor certified that he was not capable of handling his own decisions. Well, it, it sounded okay, but he went into a coma. The nephew went up to the doctor and said, can, can you sign this letter saying my uncle's not able to handle his affairs in a competent manner? Well, he's in a coma. He may come out of it. Non-compass mentis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. goodness. He's in a coma. He may come out of it. Meanwhile, the guy was in a coma for two months, died, and we could have done a lot of good things with estate planning if we had a power of attorney, maybe avoided probate, but because we couldn't, we went through probate, and be careful what you you asked for. And I remember there was one guy, in fact, he was an attorney also. He was appointed PAV attorney for his aunt and uncle's PAV attorney. And they had this clause in there. And he had to go back and forth because, you know, they'd say, well, his his wife is the first PAV attorney. Get a letter from her saying that you can use the PAV attorney. And then, well, she's not competent. And he, believe me, he was going back and forth through the bureaucracy forever to get that PAV attorney in place. So not all powers of attorney are the same. No, you can put limitations on your power of attorney. Now, ordinarily, if you're married, we don't want any limitations on the power of attorney. You know, you're married, you're married for a long time, you trust your spouse. Then we don't want limitations. In other cases, maybe we do want limitations. Maybe you don't want your niece, you know, getting into your bank accounts and doing whatever she wants. So, like I said, you got to be careful who you give your power of attorney to. But if you're married and you trust your spouse, you want to protect your spouse, then we would do an unlimited power of attorney. And there's no one right answer for everybody, but we got to play it by what the facts are that we uh, we hear. So, guys, basically, you can't sign your husband or your wife's name without a power of attorney legally. Okay? Okay. Now, what do we say to our famous clients who come in and say, well, my husband, my wife, they'll inherit automatically from me. The wonderful automatic inheritance that I've never heard of yet. And you guys know I am a veteran here at Connors and Sullivan. I've been here for a long time. Still never heard of it. But somehow there's people out there who really swear by this automatic inheritance. I want to know how I apply for it, by the way. If anybody's got some good news here, give us a call in. I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no automatic. Let's just say for the sake of argument. You know, I was just talking about this to the client a little bit earlier today, but, you know, going back to waking Ned Devine, guy wins the lottery, then he has a heart attack, dies, you know, holding the lottery ticket in his hand while he's watching the results on TV. <laughs> um, but there are all sorts of machinations that go on, and it's a very funny movie, and we should probably show it here in the office just to go over oh, legal absolutely. theories. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, let's say that lottery ticket is there. Well... This guy dies, let's say his wife, outside of grabbing the ticket and saying it's hers. But <laughs> let's say they're in different places, whatever, and the lottery ticket is there. Um, she doesn't automatically inherit it. Now, if she's the surviving spouse and there are no ch children, no grandchildren from the husband, yes, yeah, she, she will inherit it, but it's not automatic. She has to go to court, get appointed by the surrogate's court, may have to be bonded. 
and it's a little bit of a procedure. She will get it. Now, if they're children, she's not going to get, if there's no will, she's not going to get everything. Let's say she has children, and, you know, let's say it's a million-dollar lottery ticket. Well, I'm simplifying it, but basically the wife would get about $500,000, and the children would get the other $500,000. You know, not everything between husband and wife goes with each other. If you have no will, roughly half the estate goes to the spouse and half the estate goes to the children. And one of the children passes away, their children, grandchildren step into their shoes. So sometimes that can be complicated because if nothing else, you may have a house and maybe some 10-year-old kid owns part of the house and it's not that easy to sell a mortgage that house with a 10-year-old kid owning it. And that could cause some problems and legal problems, whatever. I, I, I can tell you right now, there are more than a few people, let's say husband and wife, husband bought a house before he was married, never got around to putting his wife's name on the deed. Or in some cases, you see, let's say the wife, the husband put the house in the wife's name because he was in business, he didn't want to get sued. Then the wife dies and she wants to sell the house and all of a sudden he finds out that his children own part of the house, which may or may not be on the best terms with their father or stepfather, depending on the circumstances, and things can get very complicated. What if you don't have any heirs, legal heirs? What happens? Well, then in theory, if you don't have any legal heirs, it would go to the state. So if anybody has no legal heirs and you don't have a will, that's kind of stupid anyway. I know oh some people goodness. might say, I don't care. But by legal heirs, you have a legal heir if you're married or if you have descendants of your grandparents alive, one of your grandparents. So if you have a descendant of one of your grandparents alive, uh, you have a legal heir. In other words, if... Your, your mother and father had brothers or sisters and they had children. Then, you know, you have cousins, whether it's cousins, first cousins once removed, or descendants of those cousins. You have legal heirs if you have descendants of your grandparents alive. And obviously some people don't. And where, where some people also get in a problem with your spouse's relatives and not your relatives. So let's say you have a husband and wife. The husband had a number of brothers and sisters. He has six nephews and nieces. Uh, the wife will say he was an only child. Her mother was an only child. Her father's now was an only child. They're both dead. Well, in effect, if that woman's husband dies, so let's say they're in an accident together, the husband dies today, let's say he lingers for a few more days to take out some of the complications, then the wife dies. That house that they own together could go to New York State because in theory she has no heirs. Not in theory. In actuality, she has no heirs. So your spouse's relatives are not your relatives under the law. You may call them my nephews and nieces, but they're not descendants of your grandparents, unless you have a weird family situation. They're not descendants of your grandparents. Arkansas. New York State. Oh, sorry. Well, it happens. Sorry, Jane. It does happen, you know, occasionally. Um, cousins can get married, but, you know, it's going to be obviously very unusual. Here's the best question that I've gotten in a while. Can I disinherit my husband? Oh, what the... Yeah. Can you disinherit your husband? Well, if assuming you're New York State residents, the spouse, the surviving spouse, can always put a claim against the deceased spouse's estate. So ordinarily, they would be entitled to at least a third of the estate, no matter what. Now, sometimes that's extremely difficult to track down and to figure out all the missing pieces. Let's say the spouses have been married but they're separated and they haven't been living together for a while, and the mail doesn't go to the same place. And obviously, if you're going to do this, it's not the closest relationship. So sometimes putting the assets together to try to put a claim is 
you know, not that easy. Technically, you have to put a claim in within six months of the issuance of letters on the, you know, the spouse's first spouse that dies date of death, issuance after that, or two years within death, although the courts seem to favor extending that on any kind of extenuating circumstance. In other words, to give the surviving spouse, you know, a break on that to put a claim in against. Technically, it's two years, but I've seen a lot of cases where the courts have extended it because they feel sorry for the surviving spouse, who's usually a person who's not sophisticated, maybe an immigrant or whatever, who's taken advantage of by the family. And the courts do try to provide, you know, for the surviving spouse in that case. But, um, yes, you can disinherit your spouse, but your spouse can put a claim in against your state and be entitled to roughly a third of your net estate. Now, again, I'm simplifying it for the audience. Even if they do a trust? Well, if they do a trust, if the the surviving spouse can put a claim against the estate, you know, what they call testamentary substitutes. I'm not going to get into accounts that were opened before 1967. That's a different rule. But I don't think there are too many people alive today who opened up bank accounts before 1967 when the rules changed. Um, but if you have questions about that kind of stuff, you know, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We'll try to answer your questions. Nicole, which one of the seminars are you going to go to uh, this month? As far as I was concerned, you were taking me to all of them, but, you know, my heart was broken when I found out you were only going to take me, I think, to DeLuca's and Buckley's. Well, those are Well, who good makes that ones? schedule? I thought you did. Aren't you in charge? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell you no. He's not in charge of his schedule. There's, there's, there's they. They are in charge they. of my schedule. I don't who know who they are is. They? You never find out. You know, that's, that's one, one of the great mysteries answer. of the universe. Who they are, in Connors and Sullivan. But they are always manipulating everything. They're in charge. Oh. All right. So we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be talking. We're going to rehashing an interview with the great. Bobby Brown, New York Yankee, World Series winner, medical doctor, medic in, in, I think, World War II, medical doctor in Korea, cardiologist, president of the American League. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. If you're a homeowner 862 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. 
Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Sometimes when you talk to children and ask them what they want to be when they grow up, they might say, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a baseball player. I want to serve in the military. I want to be a high-powered executive. Our next guest was able to accomplish all these tasks in life, former third baseman Dr. Bobby Brown. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm still upright and hopefully talking in complete sentences. Obviously, there were not a lot of people around who were watching baseball in your rookie season. You come up to the majors in 1947 with the New York Yankees. What was that like? Well, I came up in 1946 at the end of the season. Uh, we, we spent 1946, Yogi and myself, with the Newark Bears. But when we were eliminated in the playoffs, we were called up by the Yankees at the time to finish out the season with them. The, Boston had clinched the pennant, and uh, I think we were uh, called up around September the 20th, somewhere in there, and it was Yogi and myself, Vic Rashi, and Frank Coleman, an outfielder, and we joined the Yankees and played with them until the season ended. 1947 was a pretty big year then. In 1947, uh, uh, Yogi and I were with them the whole, and Vic Rashi the whole year. And you guys made it to the World Series. Correct, and won the World Series. Right. So what was it like? You're basically a rookie back then. Who were some of the ball players you were playing with back in 1946 and 47? Well, Yogi and I guess Aaron Robinson were the catchers. We had uh, George McQueen on first base, uh, George Sternweiss, Snuffy Sternweiss at second, uh, Rizzuto at short, uh, Billy Johnson and I played third. We had, I think, Keller in left, uh, DiMaggio in center, and Henrik in right. Uh, I think that was pretty much the uh, the lineup. Keller might have been hurt. Uh, he had a, a ruptured uh, intervertebral intervertebral uh, uh, disc that uh, was bothering him, and so uh, uh, he may have uh, been uh, somewhat uh, limited as to what he where he could play. But uh, that was basically the lineup that played. And uh, interestingly enough, I think everybody, with the exception of maybe George Sternweiss, everybody had been in the, in, in the service during World War II, and we all came back to play. So you served in the United States military during World War II. Well, I was in the U.S. Navy. Uh, I enlisted as, when I entered Stanford in uh, the, the uh, I guess it was the fall of 42. And uh, I turned 18 and enlisted in the Navy and was in the Navy until uh, uh, May of 46, uh, till, uh January of 1946. 
but I never got off the campus because I was a pre-med and they were afraid they were going to run out of doctors before the war ended. And so they uh, kept all the pre-meds at the time, uh, they kept us uh, in uniform but in school. And then as we were able to, to get to the point in our training that uh, we were full-fledged uh, MDs and had done internships, uh, then we were called to, to active duty in, in a more uh, uh, combat setting. How do you become a major league ball player while studying to be a doctor and being in the service? Well, the the, the Navy, of course, sponsored it during the war, and uh, and of course I couldn't. I, I was not in professional baseball then. I got halfway through medical school, but uh, I was about halfway through when the war ended, and uh, and that's when I signed the baseball contract and began to join. Have both of them uh, on my uh, my docket. I would go to uh, I would go to school from the middle of October until the the opening day of the of the season, and then play in the baseball uh, season uh, uh, for the rest of the time. And uh, I would divide it up between both the school and and baseball, and it was approximately six months each. Who was your roommate when you first started in the major leagues? Well, I think maybe it was Ralph Hauk. I roomed with Yogi with, uh, when we were at Newark, and I think uh, that first year in 1947, uh, Ralph Hauk and I roomed together. We both we we both uh, were bachelors at the time. Ralph uh, lost his wife uh, to rheumatic heart disease, and and during the war. And so he was a bachelor, and I was a bachelor, and so we uh, we hooked up together and and, and roomed both uh, at home uh, and on the road. And Ralph Houck later became the manager of the Yankees in the 1960s. That's correct. And later, general manager. He was he he received a battlefield uh, commission. He started as a private, and I think he just was discharged a major. But uh, he had a very distinguished uh, war record, perhaps the most decorated of all the ball players, because he went all through uh, uh, the, the, the campaign in Europe. Uh, and I think for a long time he was attached with to Patton's army, and he was uh, in the, the Ranger Battalion, but he was attached to Patton, uh, General Patton's army. A lot of people today might find it inconceivable that Major League Baseball players were drafted, volunteered to serve in the military in the middle of their careers. People might have trouble thinking about that now uh, and digesting those facts, but in World War II, everybody that was the least bit able-bodied got into the service. Uh, there were no lines trying to escape the draft. Uh, everybody knew that it was a fight to death, and we, everybody in the country uh, was doing something in the war effort. There were very few people that weren't connected to the war effort during World War II. Thank you for your service. Now, in 1947, who was the manager of the Yankees? I think it, we, uh, it might have been uh, Bucky Harris. That was his, uh, beginning in 1949, Casey Stengel. Casey had managed in the in the National League, uh, not too successful. 
quickly because he had tough teams. Uh, but uh, I think he was uh, selected after uh, Bucky Harris was let go, and uh, he he assumed the team in in the spring of 1940. Excuse me, uh, it was 1949. Casey came. 1949, Casey Stengel. Although he didn't have a very good career, yes, he managed poor ball clubs, but he didn't seem to have a very good career managing the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Boston Braves. So how did you guys react to Stengel being your manager? Well, we you know, we gave him a, a chance to see what he was going to do. And, uh, you know, as time went on, it was obvious that uh, he, he could handle the things pretty doggone well. He had good coaches, and and he had a good team, and he knew how to use his men wisely, the the players. And so uh, I think uh, that everybody accepted that fact that he knew what he was doing. Now, there were a lot of players players that had been with the Yankees before the war with uh, Joe McCarthy, and most of those players remained uh, 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 devoted to McCarthy fans. But I think basically they they tolerated and, and, and enjoyed Casey to a certain extent also. I don't know if it was appreciated enough in the 1950s, but she did have a very good on-base percentage. Well, you know, I, I did well at Newark. I, I hit well. I think I hit 341 at Newark and AAA my first year out of, out of med school, or first year coming from med school. And uh, uh, I filled in mostly in 47. Uh, Billy Johnson was a terrific third baseman, and he played most of the season in, 30, in 47. So I did a lot of pinch hitting and fitting and filling in and when people in the infield got hurt. How many years did you play with the Yankees? Well, I went. It was spanned from the, the September of 1946 until uh, the first uh, of July of uh, uh, 54. But uh, I had to go back into the service because I was an MD, so I missed. Uh, Half of 52, all of 53, and I got back out of, from Korea and Japan in the, uh, in May, about May 1st of 54, and I, I finished, uh, I finished May and June of 54 and then retired. I was going to turn 30 and I had a residency in internal medicine that started July 1st of 54. Okay, and again, I want the younger people to understand this. You served in the military during World War II, yes. You went to medical school, but then you were called back into active duty for the Korean War while you were in the majors. That's correct, because I was called back because I was an MD. So you retire from baseball. What happens then? Well, when I retired in the... In the uh I guess it was July 1st of uh, 54. Uh, then I uh, I started my residency in medicine in San Francisco at the uh, or, correction. Uh, I, yes, I started my residency in in uh, in, in uh, internal medicine on the 1st of July. I guess of 54. And then somehow you got called back into baseball. How did that happen? Well, I. I practiced uh, uh, eventually. I started my uh, private practice on the first of January, the on uh, August the first of nineteen fifty eight, and I practiced for twenty five years in cardiology here at uh, at uh, in Fort Worth, 
And at that time, I was going to turn 60, getting tired. And uh, I had the owner of the, uh, the, the Texas Rangers uh, here in Fort Worth, and he asked me if I would be willing to to apply for the commissioner's job. Bowie Kuhn was going to be terminated at the end of his present contract time, and they were going to get a new commissioner. And he asked me if I would if I would be willing to go in with and and make an application for it. And I thought about it. And, uh, uh, you know, doctors that retire at that age, they can't do much when they're not in medicine. They're not equipped to do anything. But I knew baseball, and so I said, well, yeah, I'll go up there and talk to them, which I did. And that's how I got back into baseball. I didn't. They were looking for a businessman and commissioner, and they made an excellent choice when they picked Peter Uberoth. But the... Uh, 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 Lee McPhail was retiring as the president of the American League, and they asked me if I'd be interested in that. And I talked with Lee because I, uh, his father had signed me with the Yankees, and I knew who Lee was. And he just told me that it was a base job and that I would really enjoy it, and I could really step in and and not and, and not be hampered. And so that's what I finally decided to do. There have been a lot of changes in baseball since you left the presidency of the American League, like interleague play. I know the DH came before you, but what do you think about the DH and interleague play? And, of course, do you have any comment about the steroid use? Well, uh, as far as interleague play, I was never really a big fan of that. I guess people my age are difficult to change. Uh, I always thought it was quite fair that the two best teams uh, that played that throughout the both seasons, that both leagues uh, during the season, and the two best teams played in the World Series. Uh, now with the playoffs, of course, it's conceivable that a team that's not the best team can get a hot streak and get into the World Series. But uh, the, the, the the thing that worried the owners was that uh, sometimes the, uh, the six teams in both leagues uh, during September didn't have a chance to win the pennant and the interest in the fans waned. And so uh, the, to do away with that, they came up with the playoffs and they, of course they've added more teams now and so forth and it makes for a different format. What about the DH? What's your opinion? Well, I think that the thing that I always thought baseball was great was that uh, you were constantly weighing the pluses and minuses of the people that were playing and not playing. And uh, of course, when you have a DH, you kind of uh, you kind of bypass that. Uh, the, the the fact that uh, you could have a uh, just a hitter that does nothing but hit, and he doesn't have to do any uh, fielding and whatnot. I thought was a little bit against the, the, the proper way baseball ought to be played. So uh, I was never a big fan of the, 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 the designated hitter uh, also. 
But uh, again, uh, I think people my age, uh, they tend to be negative and uh, about changes and so forth, and and uh, I'm I'm no exception. I think. Well, I agree with you. Last thing now, sometimes there's a little bit of controversy as to whether some of the ball players who are involved in the steroid use should be in the Hall of Fame, like Barry Bonds or Alec Rodriguez, for instance. What's your opinion? Well, I think this. Uh, I think the 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 chance to do steroids and to see the enhancement of your record. If you go from a, a guy that hits 15 home runs to a guy that hits 35 home runs, with the uh, with the advent of a salary increase and so forth, I think the temptation or the reason to use them uh, was was obvious to all the players, and uh, they. I felt, I don't believe anybody ever looked at any of the secondary effects of some of the drugs that were taken and whatnot, uh, and. There was no specific rule at the time that was, said a ball player couldn't take it. So uh, I think that it was almost uh, it was almost mandatory if you wanted to be successful as a ball player, you almost had to be into that club that takes steroids. And the, the fact that uh, it was ruled uh, uh, an enhancement and, and banned later on was understandable, but everybody could adhere to it then. But uh, I just think that uh, that players that took the steroids, uh, uh, there was no rule against it, as I recall, and that uh, they, they, they ought to be admitted to the Hall of Fame if they have the Hall of Fame statistics. And if you have the dates on there, which are the, on the plaques, you know that at a certain time that the chances are very good that the person that was uh, put into the Hall of Fame might have been a user of drugs. One more question. Your baseball career. What was the greatest thrill that you had playing in the majors? Well, I guess uh, I got uh, cups, I got some big hits in the World Series. Uh, I hit a triple off Joe Hatton, who was uh, Joe Hatton. It was a Brooklyn pitcher, and he and I played on the same semi-pro team in San Francisco. And now we're against each other in the World Series, and with the bases loaded, he's pitching for the Dodgers, and I'm the pinch hitting. I'm hitting for the Yankees, and I tripled off the ba- off off of Joe, and that was a big thrill. And I had a big thrill in Game Seven uh, of the 47 series. I was pinch hitting. I pinched hit for Bill Bevins in the fourth inning. We were down two to one with uh, the, uh, against the Dodgers, and we had a man on first and second. I think uh, Joe DiMaggio was on first, and maybe Billy Johnson on second. And they put me in to hit for Bevins, whose arm was bad and he couldn't pitch anymore. And uh, I, I doubled down the left field line that that tied up the game and put the go-ahead run up third. And that score, and that runner scored, and we went on to win five to two, and that was a tremendous thrill for me to get into that deciding game and get a big hit. So I think those two things I remember most vividly. And obviously, you won that World Series. We did. What are you doing now? Are you retired, enjoying life, or still doing something else? Well, I'm. Ninety-two. If I can just exist, I'm doing great. And. Uh, 
I can dig it up. Nothing works. I mean, everything is, is bad now as far as working. But at the same time, uh, I'm t- talking to you about the past uh, things that happened uh, 15, 60 years ago and uh, hopefully making sense. And I'm grateful for that. Well, you know, I don't think there are many players from the 1947 World Series who are still alive. No, I'm the only Yankee from the 47 team that's alive. I'm the only one. And I think we've got maybe four or five that are alive from the team that uh, won in 49. Uh, I know Whitey Ford and I uh, are, are alive, and and I think Irv Noren's alive, and uh, I just can't remember right offhand anybody else, but I'm sure there might be some more. In your opinion, who was the greatest ball player you played with or against? Joe DiMaggio. The greatest pitcher you ever hit against? Well, I don't know. There were all kinds of them, you know, good. Uh, we we had the, we had the best pitchers against us uh, from every team we played. We didn't get the the, the number nine guy the, on the pitching staff, or the t- tenth guy. We got the the top six, and uh, so all of those. And we had great pitching. Uh, Cleveland had great pitching. Detroit had great pitching. The A's, you know, Philadelphia A's had great pitching. We just uh, Boston had good pitching. We just had uh, good pitching. That was against us. Dr. Bobby Brown, World War II veteran, Major League Baseball player, Korea War veteran, president of the American League, medical doctor. I don't think anybody that I ever met had a fuller life than you had had. Well, I don't know. I, I haven't uh, really thought about it too much, but at the same time, uh, I'm just grateful for everything that happens, and I was grateful that I got out without being wounded or being uh, disabled in any way. And uh, you, you, you did what your 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 country needed you to do, and you didn't ask for any favors or anything. You just took what they gave you, and and so I'm very happy about all that, and I'm just very grateful and thankful. And my prayers were answered, and I got a chance to play ball, and I got a chance to go through med school, and I got a chance to serve my country, and I think that was great. And best of all, I married a tremendous gal, and. And we had a wonderful family, and we still do. And so life has been very good to me. Thank you for being on the show, Dr. Bobby Brown. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? 
with St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope, we can give them medicines, we can give them medical equipment, we can give them everything they're looking for, because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. You know, just comment on Bobby Brown. That interview was from a few years ago. Uh, Dr. Brown passed away a little over two years ago. But, you know, when you do talk about Hall of Famers and everything else, obviously as a player, he was not a Hall of Fame caliber player. He was a good platoon player for Casey Stengel's Yankees in the early 50s. But the combination of his service in World War II, Korea, and as a baseball executor and an example to young children over his life, I think he deserves a lot of credit. And maybe there should be a special wing of the Hall of Fame for those people who accomplish great things in their life. Oh, I like that. Yeah. All right. So we are coming up with seminars pretty soon. And Michael, what dates do we have for the seminars? All right. So Monday, June 19th, um, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Buckley's Restaurant and Caterers on Avenue S, Brooklyn, New York. Then Tuesday, June 20th, we 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. as well, DeLucas Trattoria. 616 Forest Avenue, Staten Island, New York. Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., right here in Bay Ridge at Greenhouse Cafe and on 3rd Avenue. And then Thursday, June 22nd, 2023, 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., Connolly's Corner, Grand Avenue, Maspeth. And Friday, June 23rd, 2023, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the Adria Hotel and Conference Center, 22117 Northern Boulevard, Bayside, New York. And so if you have any questions about estate planning, come on out. We, you know, we, we usually, some in some cases, we spend up to an hour answering questions after the seminar is finished. And you can either ask questions from the floor, or if you want to stay around and you can ask questions in semi-private, obviously we're in a hotel conference area or a restaurant, but you can ask questions, you know, in semi-private and we'll... We'll answer them. I think we answer almost everybody's question. Many people say that the question and answer period is one of the most interesting. Um, and I agree. You never know. You never know what question somebody's going to ask. Yeah. So if you want to come out to the seminars now, listen, seating is limited. We very rarely is it to the point where you, you sell out or whatever. But we would like to know how to set up the room properly for the number of guests we have in attendance. So please give us a call at 718-238-6500 if you want to attend. If you can't make any of those meetings or whatever, you can schedule an appointment with our main office in Brooklyn. You can see me at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You know, now, talking about Buckley's, I read in, uh, I've been reading this book about Lawrence Tierney, who was, you know, the great actor, which we have to have a show on that. But yes. he used to hang out at Buckley's with his na with his nephews when he was in Brooklyn. So And I your have to father him knew him, right? Yeah, he and I'm I, I wish I knew better of the chronological order of the events and dates because I didn't get that from him. 
So, because first of all, when he told me who his favorite actor was and said it was Lawrence Tierney, I didn't know who Lawrence Tierney well, was. Okay, now, so where was Lawrence Tierney born? Where did he grow up? He's born in Brooklyn. I'm not sure where he grew up. You know, okay, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Queens, a combination thereof. Um, but you know, I think that's one of the holes people weren't keeping records back then. You know, and sets, census records was little edgy, Sketchy. whatever, depending <laughs> where you, you know, because you might say you live in someplace else different from where you live. Yeah. Um, all right. And, and again, if you want to schedule an appointment with our office, one of the things we do have on our um, schedules is if you need somebody to speak another language. And, Michael, what languages do we have covered? All right. Just one second. Have to flip flip the page back, but we have English, Spanish, Italian, Greek, Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, Romanian, Mandarin, Cantonese, Fusionese, Tagalog, and Hindi. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's not too bad. So usually we can handle you. Um, you know, if you have another language, it may be a little difficult, but a lot of times even then we can find somebody to ask you questions. So thank you for listening today. Um, we'll be back next week same time and places uh remember if you want to attend one of our seminars give us a call at 718-238-6500 718-238-6500 see you at the same time and places next week bye-bye everybody thanks so much for joining us we are gathered here on hallowed ground the voices raised heads bowed down we're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.